welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Someday is Here. I love introducing you to incredible Asian American Pacific Islander women every week. The community is so rich and there's such diversity in the AAPI world. And there's also so much diversity on the different uh, types of work, careers, experiences, leadership lessons from each of these women. Um, This week's guest is a Filipina-American, Larnie Bokarin. Uh, She currently serves as the sports medicine manager for the USA Water Women's Water Polo Team which is so wonderful. Uh, She brings in such fresh perspective, and I loved how she described her family, her extended family, her time visiting the Philippines, and what that meant to her. Larni has a master's degree. She's done her athletic training fellowship in New Hampshire. Um, She's worked as a middle school physical education teacher for nine years. She has a great... um, perspective as it relates to working with people. And so I have, I really appreciate our conversation. Um, as we talked more and more, I just thought I would love to go and visit Larnie and her extended family and have a Filipino feast. Uh, I love how she loves her culture and her food. And we just had such a great conversation. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation this week. So enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Someday is Here, and I am so thrilled to introduce to you my new friend, Larni Bokrid, and she is, I'm pronouncing correctly, yes? Bokirin. Bokirin. Wonderful. We have a mutual friend, and that is the executive producer of this podcast, Chantel, and so that's how we know each other, but a little bit about Larni that you already heard from the intro, but I'll just reiterate again, is that she is currently um, the sports medicine manager for the USA women's water polo team. And because of COVID, she is not currently in Japan, which as we're taping this right now, um, we are still in sheltering in place. So Larnie, thank you so much for taking time to be on the Some Days Here podcast. Vivian, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I would love to be able to just jump right in. Um, you know, I, when I do these interviews, I kind of just picture us, you know, sitting at a Starbucks. Now it'd be socially distanced, but we are, yeah. you know, just having a conversation. And um, I would just love to hear you were even saying earlier that your last name means rice field. And I would love to hear some of your ethnic journey. Yeah, so um, me and my full four older brothers and and my parents um, immigrated to the States in 1982. Um, You know, it was my, uh, you know, my my parents, you know, just kind of 
similar to a lot of uh, Filipino dreams um, in seeking the American dream, um, mm. looking for opportunity. Um, certainly at that time um, in, in 1982, there was, I mean, I think martial law was in place and um, um, my parents um, looking for opportunity um, for, for the family. Um, we came, I saw a picture uh, where it was, it was me, my four, my four older brothers and just five boxes. And, um, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of really crazy to see that, like, that's what we came to America with. And that's what Mm. my parents, um, came with. And I mean, we stayed here. Um, we were met by my uncle stayed with them for a year before, um, we, uh, my parents found a place for all of us to stay in in Culver City, and oh, wow. uh, it's, so and Southern it's, California. Yeah, so it's it's um, certainly where we still reside, um, mm-hmm. and um, have um, certainly grown. Um, my mom, mom served as a nurse um, for many years. I mean, my my parents love working, so they mm-hmm. they worked in well into um, their seventies. Wow. And um, uh, my mom was a nurse and my dad was an accountant. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, all, all of the kids, I think when I speak with them, they're, they're, they just celebrated a, a wedding anniversary. And one of their, I said, I asked them what's their greatest highlight in their marriage. And it was knowing that their, char- their children got an education. And so that wow. was a really, um, a uh, really big accomplishment for them um, and for for me and my brothers to be able to have earned an education and that mm-hmm. they were um, successful in in providing that for their children. That's um, so beautiful. How old were you when you moved when you immigrated? Um, I was one and a half, so I didn't okay. really know too much. Um, yeah. My my oldest brother, I believe, was was eight. Okay. Okay. Um, and then my brothers are are four years apart. And um, I'm the youngest and only girl oh, in the bunch. So yes, That's I, awesome. <laughs> I was the, I was the one that was prayed for. <laughs> yes, I know. I hear you. I hear you. There's a yeah. special place in everybody's heart for you. So. Yeah, <laughs> that is so so great. So, did you grow up speaking Tagalog at home, or how, what was that like for you? Yeah, my parents would speak Tagalog um, in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as like my my relatives and um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't speak back um, mm-hmm. to them. Um, uh, they would say really simple things like um, like it's time to eat or mm-hmm. or say a bad word sometimes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but um, you know, in I, I felt like I really didn't kind of understand my culture until I went to college. Um, I mm. started at UC Irvine where mm-hmm. they had, um, Filipino clubs, um, yeah. and huge, right? Huge. Kaba Bayan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Kaba. Yes. It's huge. And Kaba. so I, um, would go to their meetings and, um, my old, my, one of my brothers, Andrew went to UCI and was involved with Kaba too. So I was able to familiarize myself a little bit and learn about my cult, uh, Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. and um dance um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really the, the really easy non-graceful one 
Um, <laughs> uh, but Jabberwocky came from Jabberwocky. Lucy yeah, I didn't. All... I didn't make that cut, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say in 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 college, I didn't. Um, uh, that's where I started to kind of get myself uh, more familiar with with my culture. Um, mm-hmm. Me and my old roommate and one of my best friends, we would have Tagalog nights at our mm-hmm. apartment. And I could only go so far. And then I was like, <laughs> I, I, I just exhausted my brain. And, um, and when, I, when I go back to the Philippines, it's the same thing. Like, I'll, I can go so far. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably, they feel, my cousins feel the same way in terms of, like, speaking English. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's a certain point where it's just, just kind of like, I'm going to speak Tagalog now. <laughs> right. I hear you. <laughs> Interesting, because my husband and I actually met in the Philippines. So oh, wow. we met, we were both over in the Philippines. And so I learned Naxasalita Cabana English. So I learned yeah. to say <laughs> you speak English in Tagalog. And that's the extent of my Tagalog, except for Halo Halo and Lumpia and yeah. you know, the important things like, you know, all of that. But um, just loved the culture there in the Philippines. Did yeah. you... So growing up in Culver City, did you have a lot of Filipino friends? Was there like a strong Filipino community or was it like school was kind of white and then home life was Filipino or what was that like for you? Yeah, it was um, like, I feel my school was a bit mixed. Um, Mm. I was kind of a floater in the crowd. Um, It was nice to to play sports too, Um, volleyball and basketball, Mm. um, to be, to be amongst a variety, diverse diverse, um, group of people and, um, you know, family parties were, were usually just more Filipino, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, lots of food and singing, (laughs) line dancing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, but yeah, like even, even, and, and in college, um, I would say, uh, my, my circle kind of was more, more Filipino and, mm-hmm. and Asian American until I transferred to Cal State Fullerton, where um, I I had a different major, um, mm-hmm. and you know my studies were a lot different, and um, the diversity of my my colleagues and my friends were 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 a lot more expanded, which was, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Cause then, um, you know, you kind of, I don't know if it's compartmentalizing, um, your friends, but like you have your friends at school and then you have your friends at your, your apartment and then you have your friends or your family. And then, um, when I graduated college, we had a big party and then all of those families um, came together, which was really neat. Um, to mm. be able to do that, um, um, because I, I think that's like one thing that uh, I'm I'm kind of mindful of too now in um, reflecting upon that is to be able to merge merge our families or mm. my communities together, mm-hmm. and I used to not do that. Mm. Um, like work was work, school was school, my family's my family, um, yeah. and I don't know if it was because of protection. Um, but also I just didn't know, uh, I, I didn't embrace it as an opportunity mm. where it was like, gosh, get to know my family kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
versus or, or like I'd, I'd love to get to know their family um, yeah. kind of thing. But um, I, I, I felt I was more inclined to do that with, with other families than, when, than bring someone home. Mm. Um, uh, so, yeah. yeah. That is, it's kind of that blending together and yeah. all that. Do you remember, like, for you growing up, did you, like, did you feel pride for being, like, in a healthy way, like, pride for being Filipina, you know, a Filipino-American, or was that a, a point of pain for you, or what was that like? Yeah, I, you know, I I think when I think of my pride always came from food. Mm. <laughs> sharing oh, yes. of food, like yes. I bring the lumpia, you know, oh, yeah. to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ponset to a party, and, oh, yes. and that would always get the rave, you know. It, was, <laughs> it got the blue ribbon at, at mm-hmm. the party, and it would be the thing that was gone. And you're like, oh, that was good. I'm glad I brought that. Um, and 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 I think <laughs> now that I think of it, like it's it's always surrounded around surrounded food. Um, but when I when I go back home. And I, and I, the last time I went back to the Philippines was in 2019 and, mm. um, uh, I had, uh, the year before that I had gone with my parents. Um, mm-hmm. but then I decided to go by myself and then meet them mm-hmm. because I'm, my parents are getting older and, and my thought was, gosh, I, I think it's important to continue to these relationships that, that exist. And they exist not just because of my dad, but because I you know, they know my face too, and mm. they know who I am too. And, um, to be able to develop those relationships on my own. And I'm, I'm so fortunate and glad that I did, um, because they were able to, to, uh, I was able to form them and, mm. um, they were get, they would get to know me by not speaking through my dad. Mm. It was, they, mm. they were talking to me and, mm-hmm. um, um, sometimes I think that's like my, uh, traveling, traveling that way with, with family is it's like your security blanket. Um, yeah, but to yeah. be able to, to experience it on your own and to, to see it through your own lens, um, is, is that much more powerful? So, mm. um, so when I, when I was there, I was able to explore my dad's province and my mom's province and, um, go on trips with my cousins and, um, just learn, learn the story a little bit more. Um, Mm. so, uh, but yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I veered away from the initial question. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fine. I can, I can tell that the value of family is strong. Um, so yeah, so for you, can you think of a time at all, like when there was, you know, a time when, you know, just a point of pain, even as a Filipina? You know, I, um, I, I had pondered this question and, and I don't know if it was a point of pain. Um, but it, it just, maybe it was understanding, um, so when I was was in the Philippines, I my my cousin worked in a hospital, and um, I was able to see three different hospitals. Mm. And um, one was kind of like a the provincial hospital, which was like a, a 
guess like a county hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so open, a bit run down. There mm-hmm. were stray dogs coming in and out. And then um, you go into a, a different hospital that was more in the city. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, uh, it was better. I mean, they had, they had four walls. Um, mm-hmm. They had closed windows, closed doors, where the one in, in the province didn't really have that. Um, mm-hmm. It was, um, I mean, everyone was in uniform, but they had, they had machines. Like it just mm-hmm. like, you could kind of tell, like it was another, another layer of, of wealth um, mm. and economic uh, uh, resourcing e- resources mm-hmm. at that hospital. And then I went to a hospital in Manila mm. and it, it was just five story building, mm. you know, uh, huge. And, um, uh, it, and I, I guess it, it just kind of speaks to now as just like those resources and, um, accessibility and, mm-hmm. um, that it's, I don't know, like when you look at small towns is like everyone is able to make do mm-hmm. with what they have and right. make it work mm-hmm. and, um, and, and whatever means that is. And, and I'm, I'm reminded by what my uncle has t- told me when, when I went to go visit is like, you don't feel bad. Um, because, you know, this may not look like wealth to you. Mm. This may not look like it's, um, uh, you know, of, of, of great standard of to whatever Mm -hmm. your standard is, but Mm -hmm. there is a, um, a means that the, that the people of this province are wealthy. and 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 are cared for, um, yeah. but not in the way that you might think, and not to the standards. Um, but not to say like things can be better, right? Sure. Um, sure. But um, I think that was um, a, a painful point, but also an enlightening point, and mm-hmm. um, also an enlightening point of um, and of being grateful for what we have, because mm-hmm. there's always people that. Um, you know, your, your bad days is somebody else's good days. Hmm. Um, like kind perspective. of perspective. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I remember for me, you know, like I grew up in Colorado, so I didn't grow up around a lot of Asians. And then the first time I actually visited China where my parents were both born, I had this, like, I don't know if it was like a, it was a little bit of an identity crisis, but it was also one of those things where I remember standing on the bus and thinking and looking at like crowds of people in China and thinking, I totally could have been, could have been born here. And, you know, I mean, there's just this sense of this, uh, I don't know, it, it just struck me in a way that it never had in the States, you know, like being back in the motherland, so to speak. Did you experience that for you? Like when you went back to the Philippines of just, I could have been in this province or, you know, like that sense of this could have been me had my parents not chosen to immigrate or did you ever have anything like that? Yeah. I, I, um, you know, my family 
had reflected upon that of like where what if we didn't come here like Mm -hmm. who would we be what would we be doing and um there's there's one thing that I think about is just the um like the uh the camaraderie and, 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 mm. and like, cause I don't know, I've, I've, I feel it in, in having been Americanized, right. And mm. growing up in American culture, it's like being driven for mm. this success versus mm. um, like when I go back to the Philippines, it's just like being okay with, with your family and, mm. and your, and your peen sons and the mm-hmm. fellowship and, mm-hmm. and not that we can't have that here. Right. Um, right. I, I think, uh, I, I think it's my mind or I've been kind of uh, just with school and being driven in school to, mm-hmm. to do well. And I don't know, to, to be successful in a, a career is, um, uh, has always driven me in that mm-hmm. way. And, mm-hmm. um, I think when I go to the Philippines, um, I certainly am the definition of, of like my identity kinds of builds itself too. And that learning mm-hmm. about my grandparents, my, I was a, a nine, a middle school teacher for nine years and oh, to wow. know that my, my grandma was a teacher and, mm. and my, my, my dad's dad, um, was a police officer and mm. um, kind of understanding like people's um, where my behaviors might come from yeah. and not uh-huh. just from, from my, from my, um, from my parents, but um, in, in that regard, learning about myself. Um, but mm. at the same time, I, when I, when I am in the Philippines, it, it's just kind of like, wow, like I, I feel more of an overwhelming um, embrace of, of, this family mm, yes. and, and to be, um, to always be gathered around mm-hmm. by family and not being torn away by, by work or yeah. the to do's or have to do's, um, mm. kind of thing. So, um, um, that, that's kind of the sense that, that I, I received. Um, I, I feel like I stand out when, when I, like I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. think when you go to the Philippines, they you know you're a Balakbayan, and mm-hmm. it's and um, uh, and and it's and it, and that's it's cool too because they're 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 interested and in, and in things like that, and um, <laughs> you're also a target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. But, um, but but at the same time, I. Like I embrace that too, um, mm-hmm. um, because it's just a, a another opportunity to connect to connect with someone. Yeah, um, totally. My yeah. my one of my best friends is Filipino, and I think there is that the the warmth that's extended, and so I feel like whenever I'm with her family, I feel like even though I'm not really like blood relative. I'm just kind of embraced as such. Like it's just this, uh, the warmth and the love and the food and the, you know, every Filipino birthday I've ever been to or celebration. I mean, just, there's just a, uh, I think, um, success and wealth 
come in so many different forms, currencies. And I just yeah. feel like when I think about Filipino culture, you know, not to overgeneralize, but I just think there's so much wealth in the sense of community and the sense of, you know, expanded, extended family. Yeah. And, you know, just the, the idea of celebration. And, you know, we just, we, it, there's, love is not a zero sum game. It's like, it's not like there's only, you know, 14 pieces of love. And once you run out of the 14, it's over. It's kind of like, no, this is, it just can expand and expand and expand. And it's just louder and more fun and more music and more food. And that's kind of how I think of it. So I love that very much. So yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. You'll never go hungry at at a Filipino house. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I can so all I so when I picture a Filipino house and just a gathering, it's always those really huge Costco silver lined um like pans of food. Like yeah. just pans and pans of food and it's just so fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> My mouth is watering. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh. This week's Did You Know is And the gold medal goes to. Did you know Victoria Manalo Draves was the first Asian American woman to win an Olympic gold medal? Draves competed in the 1948 London Olympics in both the springboard and platform events and won gold in both. Draves was born in the 1920s in Northern California when anti-miscegenation laws had been overturned but interracial marriages were still socially frowned upon. Because of that, Draves, being of both Filipino and English descent, faced prejudice for her mixed-race identity in her swimming career. Growing up, she was only allowed to use the pool on either quote-unquote international days or on the one day out of the week when communities of color were allowed to swim, after which the pool would be drained and cleaned. The coach of the women's team she applied to created a separate swimming club for her to represent as a woman of color. He also required her to change her last name from Manalo, her maiden name, to Taylor, her mother's maiden name, in order to appear more white. When she competed for gold in London, her coach and future husband, Lyle Draves, was adamant about Victoria competing as Victoria Manalo. Manalo took home the gold the same year as Sammy Lee, the first Asian American man to win Olympic gold medals in diving. Draves was admitted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame in 1969 and in 2005 had a park in San Francisco named after her. And that's this week's Did You Know? Well, I I would love to hear a little bit about just, you know, your work with the um, the USA water polo team and how did you like did you know that you wanted to work in sports medicine did you know about like how did you kind of find yourself in where you are and are there other like I'm not when I picture USA 
water polo team. I'm not picturing a lot of Asians. Like I'm picturing pretty white or, you know, non-Asian, you know, and what's that like for you? And just, I'd love you for you to explore some of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my, my, my passion for sports medicine came through playing sports. Um, mm. I played volleyball and basketball in, in high school and club volleyball. And um, when I went to UC Irvine, I, I tried out for the road team, but um, I kind of ixed that and had to be a really good swimmer <laughs> to save myself. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I decided to um, be an intern within their sports medicine um, athletic training room. Oh. And so I started to, to um, certainly uh, intern there and I, I spent two years there and, and all at the same time, like what I knew about um, medicine was nursing. I mean, mm. all the females in my family were nurses and yeah. I think that was my destiny to be a nurse as well. And it was always encouraged by my aunts and, and my mom um, in a way um, uh, because as it was stable. Um, mm-hmm. You knew it was easy to find work. Um, we could make good money. Um, yeah. um, so um, I, and I certainly in high school had volunteered at hospitals and at the same mm. time, I didn't feel fulfilled um, in that setting mm. either. And so, um, so that's where I kind of evolved and, and I then transferred to Cal State Fullerton um, mm-hmm. where they had an athletic training education program and oh. uh, majored in kinesiology, um, mm-hmm. study of mm-hmm. uh, human movement, and they had an athletic training program. Um, and then uh, from there, I, I continued my education uh, to earn my master's at uh, mm-hmm. a small professional school in Mesa, Arizona, um, uh, A.T. Steele University. And, and And I really enjoyed my education there. But the one piece was just, always kind of like you always want to be hands-on hands-on mm. and, and practical so I ended up moving from a really hot place in Arizona to New Hampshire oh, to live gosh. in snow for the first time and um, <laughs> did a fellowship there and I was the uh, the car with the California plates driving really slow with my hazards Blarty. on yes. <laughs> like stay away from me um <laughs> Don't drive too close, um, but just to continue my education um, and really understanding medicine, because my thought was, you know, when I see an athlete is to to know the stages, right? Um, they may see me, but what are our resources? Because um, and what is important is forming a multidisciplinary approach that not every athlete or every person is going to be treated and managed the same. You want to treat mm. that person with what their needs are. And um, so to do that fellowship was to kind of have a one global st- understanding of what the system and what resources are. So I, mm. I interned with radiologists, um, uh, people who made prosthetics, um, obviously orthopedics, um, mm-hmm. neurologists and things like that. And um, certainly just to be in that room and things may have flew over my head um, for sure. But I think at the same time, that experience to understand um, that that profession a little bit, who they are, what they do, uh, gave me an insight to, okay, what if an athlete experiences, what are certain avenues and options mm-hmm. that they have to take. Um, not that I wouldn't, wouldn't 
I would make those decisions on my own with, mm-hmm. with the doctor and, and everything, but to have at least an understanding so that I can communicate with, with an athlete mm. about those experiences. So, um, you know, so after I did that fellowship, I ended up <laughs> applying for my first job and it was, um, as a physical education teacher, um, mm. for, for sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And, um, uh, and I also was an athletic trainer that served their middle school and high school athletics. So my day was, days were pretty packed. And, um, but, uh, at the same time, um, to, to have been able to do that at, for nine years was, it, it allowed me to just always think simple, not mm-hmm. to, because if I can't explain something to, uh, a sixth grader, mm-hmm. um, and how you know it doesn't take um I didn't want to over over analyze it for a an elite athlete at the same time just keeping keeping things things simple um and um at the same time uh working uh as a teacher I had those summers off and I never had a summer off Mm -hmm. um but it was an opportunity to intern with USA men's and women's volleyball as a seasonal oh, assistant. So, okay. um, so that kind of, to be able to, um, uh, to, to work a, a, alongside Aaron Brock and Jill Wasmack at the time with the women's team, um, was also kind of a growing, um, ground for me, uh, mm. in, in, into my professional, uh, aspect of my career and, mm-hmm. um, into obviously working with elite athletes and to think things a little bit different, uh, a little bit differently. Um, mm. uh, but at the same time, I think, um, one thing that I try to use, cause I know like coming from working with Olympic athletes or elite, say volleyball players and going back mm-hmm. to a middle school or a high school um, was that I wasn't going to be any different in, in my treatment or in my care of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was really important. Um, it didn't matter um, mm-hmm. what level mm-hmm. they, they played on. And, um, and uh, fortunately I, I think uh, it was time for me to move on um, mm-hmm. from, from teaching. I really just wanted to focus on, on, on athletic training. And, um, you know, even before I started, I had start made a vision board of mm-hmm. wanting to, to go to an Olympic games. Um, I'm, uh, a big, big advocate of the Olympic movement that gathers, mm-hmm. uh, gathers people in, in a display of world peace, um, mm. in, at one time. Um, yes. and, uh, and so I, I had made a vision board and it was one thing that I, I looked at every day for, <laughs> for nine years or so. Mm. And, um, um, until the opportunity came and, um, to work with, with women's water polo, I had no idea what, what water polo yeah. is or was. And, um, uh, but all I knew was that, um, as much as I, I, I love the Olympics, uh, my motivation in going into a position like this um, to be motivated by the Olympic Games is very short-lived, and mm-hmm. um, to to remember that it's um, you again 
or building a family, building a community um, mm-hmm. with the people that you work with. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's a, you know, the national team is, is a small community, but it just extends out so much mm-hmm. more wider. And you get to, I've had an opportunity to travel all over the world into places I've never thought I'd go to. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, the team, the women's team has had great success and to be to experience that and um, just to be surrounded by excellence at the same time mm-hmm. just is just super motivating um, to to always one I, I think of being just a good teammate mm-hmm. um, a good teammate as a daughter as a friend um, yeah. as a as a coworker um, and um, uh, to be always wanting to to grow and be better at what what, what I do. And, um, that comes with the pains, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and failures, um, at the same time. Um, but is, is also shared with great triumph. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's, what's, um, pretty, pretty cool about, uh, this job, um, mm-hmm. is to be able, like not uh, having, working with a group that pulls into this, that pulls in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, the journey that each person, um, has to, mm-hmm. to get to fulfill a dream, um, yeah. to go through this process. And it is not easy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a, not an easy process, um, to go through and that not a lot of people have an opportunity to do. So do you, like, how long is the team typically together, like the same players? Does it change every year or do you kind of have a core? Like, what's that like as far as that building of a team? Yeah, so with, with this particular team, um, um, I think it it, it varies. Um, I can only speak for this quad because Olympics mm-hmm. is every four years. And so 2017 is a re- building year and so mm. it kind of depends on who who wants to do it again right um, okay and so that is um this year it looks about half half of the team from 2016 mm-hmm. um return and then we have um new new um athletes uh that came in in 2017 um mm-hmm. and so our period of, of competition from 2017 to 20 uh, competition and training from 2017 to 2018 is um, from May to say uh, to August. Mm. So that's our, our big competition training block from 2017, 2018, 2019. Then when it comes to a Olympic year, um, we're in full-time training. Mm. So from May through the Olympics. So, wow. so it's um, like every day you're seeing yeah. each other and travel and wow. Yeah. Um, but there's really some deep bonds that can form in obviously with the shared vision, but the traveling, the in-between time, the riding on a bus or being on an, in an airport and all of those. For sure. For sure. Wow. It's just like you're you're a big band, um, yeah, band together. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, um, I mean with that, I mean, they're, they're your family for, I, when, it, when I, when I first talk, took this position, it was, I, I sat down with my family and, and my nephews who are young at the time was like, you're not going to see me a lot. 
because mm-hmm. um, um, you know it's it's because I'm I'm gone about six mm-hmm. months out of the year, and wow. um, and everybody makes these sacrifices and and being a part of this journey um, to take part in mm-hmm. it, and mm-hmm. um, and that's time away from from your immediate family. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful that you took the time to explain that to them, you know, coming from you, you know, just saying, this is what's going on. And yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, they understood that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's like, it's almost like for me, um, you know how it, in the Olympics, they always do the human interest story. And so yeah. you're always like, drawn in, you're crying and there's just like, and then I'm just rooting for that team. Like, it's just because yeah. I kind of the connection with, so I can only imagine your family, like being so excited about women's water polo because you're a part of that family. And so, yeah. so, so yeah. I would, so in your experience, what are, what would you consider a leadership lesson that you've implemented or tried to kind of keep in the forefront as you've been in your role and as you've been even in um, the greater team aspect of the Olympics. Yeah, I, that's, that's, um, I think that's a, a pretty loaded question, but I, I, I feel the one that really stands out to me in, in my role is just preparation. And mm. um, that goes with the team as well. And um, where we're preparing um In, in my role, you kind of think of all kinds of scenarios and mm-hmm. of, of what could happen. And when you're traveling, you kind of want to make sure that you bring your training room with you yes. um, and you can sustain that same type of care on the road, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, preparation happens um, um, almost every day and mm-hmm. um, just kind of planning um, and, and, even more so now with, with COVID, I, I kind of mull over scenarios of what can happen. And um, we've devised these protocols of, of what could happen if there is a potential exposure and kind of Mm. thinking of our, our daily interactions and um, like, what, what does that all look like? And that's all taken in consideration Mm. um, in, in preparation. Right. Yeah. And um, for our athletes and our staff to feel safe in the, in that environment. And, and so it's, that's like, oh, I love lists. Um, I love mm-hmm. checking things off and mm-hmm. scratching things off the list. And, um, uh, but it's almost a consistent um, rehearsal of, mm. of what's to come. And so when big moments come or when um, what, what, like the Olympic games or whatnot, um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's a big moment. It's, Mm -hmm. it seems like you've been there before and you've been preparing all along. along. Um, that's why it's almost, um, I kind of felt that way in, in 2016 and, and it was, uh, I mean, I came in late in the quad in October of 2015. And, um, that was, that was, all that it was because it was going to be my first experience. And all I did in my mind was just prepare of what ifs. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, 
And so when it, and, and the team prepares in that same manner, um, because mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, the Olympic games is one of the biggest, is the biggest event, um, at the same time at its simplest form, it's another tournament. Mm-hmm. And, um, so to, to view it in that kind of lens is mm-hmm. like, you've been there before the yeah. tournament that you have done, um, that we, we were at, um, was, a a similar tournament that allows you to grow from certain, those experiences too. And, mm. um, so that's kind of been my approach, um, in preparation and in terms of what is yet to come. So it just seems a bit more, um, it, things don't seem as big. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that makes so much sense to me because I think sometimes we go through life, you know, like even your vision board, like get to the Olympics and we forget that there's all of those steps that take us from point A to B to C to D. But it's like, as we're faithful to be prepared, to prepare for scenarios, it's, there's not that big, like, oh no, like, I'm not ready for this. It's like, no, you've been ready. You are ready. It's just do the thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just do the thing. So I love that. That is really, really amazing. So how are you, like, what is the current situation? Is everyone just kind of on waiting to find out what's going to happen with this global pandemic and the future of the Olympics? What's it looking like right now from your vantage point? Yeah. I mean, um, there's certain, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, um, for, for right now, what we know is the Olympic games is 2021 uh, mm-hmm. at this same time. And, um, in Tokyo, the logistics of it, we don't particularly know. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, for our team, this is, um, I mean, certainly challenging to connect, um, in this way, but we're, we still have an opportunity to, to train, um, mm-hmm. with, with our protocols in place, um, mm-hmm. to get in the water, to get wet and, um, just not, it looks different from what we're, we're used to. Um, sure. um, and then our foreseeable future in the fall, um, you know, we certainly had plans to do some travel, but those have put on, been put on, um, hold, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it's, it's again, uh, the gift of time to be able to, to work to where we were in, mm. in a way and, yeah. and an opportunity to maybe do things, um, differently, um, sure. from, from reflecting on what was in the past. And, mm-hmm. um, so we have a second chance to, to do things better, um, yeah. and, and be better, um, that makes a lot Which of is, sense. Like the team being able to gel, yeah. you know, with given more time. So I'm curious, will it be four years from 2021 or will they just do it for three years for the next round of Olympics? Do you know if that's going to be like, do they keep with the numbers or do they yeah. just keep with the years? Well, 2024 is in Paris. Mm-hmm. So um, I would assume so. Okay. Um Cause I, That's right, because they, t- they push it out. Yeah, they yeah. announced that already, so. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, but who knows, you know, we didn't, we didn't know that a pandemic was going to 
<laughs> be in our future. <laughs> <laughs> this whole year, let's face it, 2020 is just, there's just no words. There was, a, there was a meme that I saw that just seemed to capture it. It's like, it was an avocado sliced in half and the whole avocado was basically the pit. <laughs> it's just like, this is 2020. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> It's like it's just like a huge avocado, but the whole avocado is basically a pit right now. So, ah, uh, twenty yeah, twenty twenty. Oh um, well, switching gears. What is your favorite Asian comfort food? Oh my gosh, I I saw this Army. question and I was like, could we could we do like what I would have in a day? <laughs> Like a food tour. Yeah. A food tour, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I would wake up and like order uh order top silog, which is like garlic fried rice with like tocino or longanisa oh. and uh, and a fried egg over easy for breakfast. And then mm. I mean in the Philippines they eat like six meals a day. It's it's They're like insane. hobbits. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was like you you have your your pandesal or your biscuit, mm. which is I could eat the mini pandesals warm from the bakery every oh, all day. I can with, smell it in my mind. Oh. With Velveeta cheese, I didn't, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> they're the cheese whiz in the jar. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, do you, I, did you ever go to Jollibee? Yes. That was just kind of like, I just, I love Jollibee. I just, yeah. just like, yeah. the chili is kind of sweet, but it's just like, I, and the spaghetti is kind of sweet, but it's like, yeah. it's Jollibee. It's so good. Jollibee. Jollibee. It's, it's the, sh- <laughs> the sugar and the hot dogs and the it spaghetti. Is. Yes. Yes. Sugar and hot dogs and spaghetti. Seriously, <laughs> it's so good. With and the side of, the hollow. And the hollow, the side of fried chicken. Mm, mm. But I wouldn't be my lunch meal. I think I would have like a a merienda of uh, <laughs> merienda is like that time between breakfast and or is it breakfast, lunch, or maybe lunch and dinner? Brunch or dinner? Dinner. Yeah, it's either one of those. It was. It would. That would. I would probably have maybe have a jolly bee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm like chicken and then mm. go into um like a bololo which is uh like this beef soup mm. and the, um uh, oxtail soup oh my gosh oh, like yes. the, the the it's sabao or the <laughs> the soup itself is just mm. super good and then for dinner i probably have like a like adobo or oh, um, adobo. chicken adobo and fried fish. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. Yeah. With a side of calamansi juice. <laughs> and I love it. Mango shake. <laughs> oh, mangoes. The Philippine mango. mangoes are the best mangoes. I, yeah. I always call them the Philippine mangoes. Is it, do you know if it's really like originated from the Philippines? My last box of them they were actually grown in Mexico, but they're the Philippine mangoes, like the really good ones. Yeah. Do you look at the label? I guess. I Maybe. I think so. Yeah. I got it at a Middle Eastern market. You know, I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> welcome to Southern California. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Philippine mango, but it was made, it was grown in Mexico and sold at a Middle Eastern market. So, yeah. 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 Are you in Colorado now? 
No, I'm in, in Southern California. I'm in Mission Viejo down the oh, street. Oh, okay. So right on. Waving. Yeah. yeah. So Very cool. So yeah. So good. So good. Well, I but, love being able to talk with you about all of the things. And I would love to know, like, are you on social media? Can people connect with you or can they just cheer on? How can we cheer on the USA women's water polo team? Like, yeah, that's Tokyo. Like, yeah, I think um, following USA Water Polo on Twitter and um, the USA Women's Water Polo team and mm. men's team both have um, Instagrams. I I honestly have one, but I'm not on it. Um, yeah. But um, Larney B is is my handle. Um, I'm on Twitter at um, I think it's also Larney B. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, please support. Team USA, women's yes. water polo, men's water polo, um, come Tokyo 21, uh, 2021. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, these athletes are amazing at what they do and they're even more amazing people. So, mm. um, I think it's, you know, what they do in the water and the resilience that they have is, is inspiring. But as you kind of learn about them as people, it's, it's also mm just, um, uh, you love them even more. So, um, I love it. So now we have this connection because now it's like, we are all for the water polo. Like I may have never watched a water polo tournament in the Olympics before, but now I am all in. Yeah. Yeah. You might just see my forearm. Yay. When giving out water or something. That's I know that forearm. I know that forearm. Yeah. I have talked with that forearm. Lari, <laughs> this is so yeah. great. Thank you so much for taking time. Yeah. Gosh, you know, such an honor. have been in Tokyo right now, but instead you are sheltering in place. And so we've had the privilege to be able to hear from you and we will be cheering you on and the team on. And just thanks for being on some days here. Thank you so much, Vivian. Wasn't that such a great conversation with Larnie? And didn't you just want to join her for a, just a, a day of eating <laughs> all her favorite foods? Um, I just loved meeting Larnie and hearing about her world. And, you know, prior to this conversation, I don't think I had any connection to the U.S. Water, women's water polo team. But now that I've had this conversation with Larnie, I'm all in and I cannot wait to cheer on our women's water polo team. And it just reminds me that so often our worlds are expanded through relationship and our proximity to people changes our affections, it changes our priorities. So this week's call to action really is Take time to intentionally pursue uh, relationships with people who do work uh, very different than you or who live with a different ethnic background or socioeconomic background um, or a different life stage. Like, get into proximity with um, people who don't live the same world that you live in. So, Uh, Also, go and follow the U.S. women's water polo team, and let's cheer them on, and let's cheer Larnie on as we go. So I am so thankful for all of you sharing this podcast with your friends. We have some really exciting new ideas brewing for season four, but we have some incredible 
guests that are still coming up in the weeks to come in season three. So thank you for subscribing and thank you for rating and reviewing and uh, sharing this podcast with your friends. We're looking forward to next week's um, episode, bringing you another incredible AAPI woman. And we just hope our whole team is hoping that you have a fantastic week. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.